Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. We are honored to be joined by Carlo Ople today. He is the founder and chairman of the Unbox Group of Companies, one of the largest technology websites in the Philippines, but that's not all. He's an LGS owner, and his store will be hosting the upcoming Battle Heart in Manila. Plus, he is the owner of Team Unbox and creator of the Unbox Fab channel on YouTube. Carlo, welcome to our show. Hey guys, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited to have you with us today. Can you help our audience get to know you a little bit better? What, what, who are you? You know, what are your accomplishments so far? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm your typical 40-year-old DCG fan uh, who grew up playing Magic when I was literally... God, I, when I started playing Magic, when Ice Age came out, so... <laughs> I remember <laughs> the, Ice Age. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were ripping packs and pulling icy manipulators, and we were thinking, well, whoa, this is so sick, right? Uh, and, I, and I even remember trading uh, a Tundra that I pulled for a Royal Assassin. Wow. Oh, <laughs> both, both very good cards back then. <laughs> yeah, back then, back then. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I've been, I've been in, in and out of TCGs throughout my life, uh, different games, um, and it's just something that I keep going back to. Uh, and after I kind of retired from my corporate career, so I, I, I worked for close to 20 years, I think, uh, in, in corporate, different roles. My last role was I was the vice president for marketing for the biggest telco here in the Philippines uh, for marketing communications. Um, and when I kind of retired, I, I went in, I put up my own uh, group of companies. I went entrepreneurship. And, and part of the thing that I wanted to do was to invest also in things that made me happy, things that gave me fulfillment. Uh, and that's when I found myself back to going back to trading to TCGs. I uh, went back to Magic first, got really pissed after one set. I think it was like aftermath. And then I realized it, was, it felt like they just want my money. <laughs> There's, dude, the product release was like every month, right? So it, it was yeah. just so hard to... To keep up with and then there were so many permutations of of every card and it stopped feeling it stopped being like like a you know so much fun for me because i, I, I like opening packs and i like opening boxes mm -hmm. that has always been like a fun thing for me uh i still play occasionally you know the the edh stuff and the multiplayer but the competitive side i i, I gave up on that and then on one day i decided to open a uh, flesh and blood box in the, the LGS that I put up. And then when we, oh, and when I opened, I think it was an outsider's box. And the first pack that I opened had the Marvel Codex of Frailty. Oh, wow. And that was like, okay, I am so getting into this game. <laughs> yeah, that's so one that, way to get hooked for sure. Yeah, so that was the, the rabbit hole that I, that I fell into. Uh, and it just went out of control, I guess. Uh, I picked up, uh, I, I, since I, I kind of had some resources, I sold some magic cards, bought several, uh, I guess, decks for Fab, uh, just to get the feel for the game and then to find which hero that I, I would love. I ended up playing Briar uh, and then joined Armories, met people, um, started getting to know the local community um, and, and, being, and, and trying to find out the ways I can help contribute to build and grow flesh and blood because I, I really felt invested uh, in the growth of the community. 
So that's when I invested more in the shop, invested more in hosting tournaments, hosting events, doing learn to play, uh, joining competitions. My first international competition was, was calling in calling Taipei, I, I think. Then I ended up qualifying for, for Worlds, uh, played in Barcelona, didn't do too well, sadly. I played Dromai right. thinking that I would avoid ninjas, fought ninjas all day long. So, <laughs> so it was a bad, bad uh, meta call for me. Um, and then one of you pro quests, uh, one of you skirmishes qualified for Pro Tour LA. So that's what we're preparing for oh, right now. Funny. Uh, and then, yeah, so now we're, we're getting ready and preparing for Battle Hard. I've, I've been campaigning so hard to get Battle Hardened here in the Philippines. So I'm super happy that LSS finally agreed. And we are so stoked, super excited uh, to, to actually have Battle Hardened in February. So the team is working really hard. I don't know if you guys seen the promotion materials. It's feeling like a calling, even though it's just a Battle Hardened. We have like international artists. We have international vendors. And it's really super exciting for the local Flesh and Blood community. Yeah, that's awesome. We can't wait to touch on that a little bit more later in the episode. Um, a couple of follow-up questions. You mentioned that you were retired, but you also are part of you know the, the greater community with um, running a store. What would yeah. you say that your, I guess, current day job is then if you're retired but also still uh, part like store owner? I'd say I'm retired from corporate in the sense that... Uh, I don't want to go back to having a full-time job, if you know what I mean. I yep. stayed there for 20 years, climbed up the corporate ladder, uh, and I don't see myself going back there anymore. And what my priority would be pursuing things that make me fulfilled and happy. You know, we only have one life to live, right? I don't want to live the rest of my life. I'm 40, I'm turning 42. I don't know how much, I mean, I don't know how long I have in this lifetime and I don't want to spend okay. the best years of my life working for someone else, right? That, I mean, sure. that's that's my that's my viewpoint. So, so yeah. I work really hard to be able to afford to kind of retire early, but it doesn't mean I don't work. So I, I have a couple of businesses that I run. Uh, I have a digital agency. I have a talent agency where I present the top tech creators in the Philippines. Um, I, I also run the shop, which I mentioned. We have a... And we have several other small businesses. I own a barber shop, a coffee shop, and several other small businesses uh, that that make me happy. So that that was kind of like the driving force. I even wrote I even wrote a book, by the way, uh, which was called um, Sal in Tagalog in Filipino. It says "sweldo is not enough." In that in English, that would mean salary is not enough. So you you have to build businesses and build rackets inside us and stuff like that to to eventually afford to just pursue what it is that you want to do. So to give you an idea, every day I wake up. Um, my shop is literally a five-minute walk from where I live. I walk to the shop. I host all my meetings in my shop. So all the different business units that I that I run, that I own, they, they meet me there for the usual stand-ups and stuff like that or town hall meetings. We have an event space at the top, which I use for uh, meetings with our employees. Uh, everything revolves around that area, that corner of the mall where the shop is, and where it's starting to look like my pseudo office already <laughs> right yeah when you say the shop that's your your game store right like not your barber yeah. shop or... <laughs> the, the barber shop is literally beside the game store and the coffee okay. shop is wow. inside the game store it all centers around the the game store hey that's yeah that's exactly amazing. 
retired but still a lot on the go and doing stuff yeah it doesn't sound like you're retired <laughs> yeah exactly to me. <laughs> retired from corporate life that's probably yeah, the yeah, best yeah. way to, to, yeah. to put it for sure got it um yeah. one more uh question on the getting to know carlo do you have any other hobbies outside of fab that you enjoy travel i love travel that's why i love flesh and blood so much because the play the game see the world thing is so alive um mm-hmm. i travel with my wife so we we went to barcelona played the game then we took a side trip to switzerland and and uh when we were in taiwan we also spent some time going around looking forward to la i, I even flew to malaysia for the sea throne recently uh just to play over the weekend so i'm, I'm enjoying the travel bit uh a lot nice Awesome. Sorry, I got one follow-up question. Yeah, Are sure. you still a sneakerhead as well? Oh, good question. So, uh, <laughs> I was trying to I tried to look for the sneakers that I bought. <laughs> well, I used to be super heavy into to shoes. I have a YouTube channel that has close to seven hundred fifty thousand or seven hundred seventy thousand subscribers. That's wow. mainly around sneakers and hype stuff. I still yeah. buy every now and then, but it's not as intense as it used to be. Okay. I know that we have a few uh, sneaker people out here where we are, so I thought that would be interesting to bring up. Yeah. yeah. Shoes are supposed to be worn. <laughs> dude, dude, I, I, bought a, <laughs> I bought a pair of sneakers just, 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 yeah. just to share. They're, they're, they can be worn, but they're called, they can also be great investments. <laughs> so yes. I, bought a, I bought a pair of sneakers before the Jordan 4 Manila. It was like 150 pieces only. I was able to buy it, I think, for like two hundred thousand. Well, it's like four thousand US. I ended up selling wow. it for what's one million pesos? Twenty thousand US. Wow, unreal. So That's it can crazy. be an investment if you know which which pair to to buy. All right, all right. Well, we're going to deep dive into Fab pretty soon yeah. here, Carlo. But uh, if you just don't mind telling me a little bit more before we get into that, just about the Philippines. Um, I, yeah, just, yeah. Can can you tell some of our listeners more about your country, some interesting information and maybe if they're thinking about visiting the Southeast Asia region, you know, why they should visit the, the Philippines. The Philippines has a good mix of everything that you would want. Uh, good weather. In my opinion, we have the greatest beaches, I think in the world. Uh, we have warm, fun, happy people. That that always gets media attention. How happy and warm and hospitable Filipinos are. Um, but if you want like urban, fast-paced stuff like city life, we also have that here in Metro Manila. Um, we have a lot of you know nice, hip areas. So there's really something for everyone. But ultimately, what makes it unique, in my opinion, is really the people. I mean, the Filipinos are just genuinely warm and hospitable. We're an English-speaking country, so if you guys go here, ask, you won't have any problem talking to anyone. The, the, the accent might be different for some regions of the Philippines, but most of us here, probably 90%, I think. I might be wrong on that number, but I think an overwhelming majority speaks English. No, that's great. And honestly, uh, here where we live, it was like minus 40 degrees uh, last <laughs> week. So, yeah. so somewhere that's nice and, and warm with beaches sounds very, very good to me right now. Um, and just thinking about the Philippines as a general region, 
um, do you can you tell me what sort of games uh, before Fab um, people like to play uh, in the country? Well, the the first TCG that that really became popular here was obviously Magic: The Gathering, and it still I think remains to be the number one game, especially Commander and EDH more than the competitive uh, side of things. Um, when standard kind of faded, everybody really shifted to to modern and all the other formats. But the one that has the most following until today is really Commander and, and EDH. Uh, apart from that, um, there were ah man. Probably Pokemon and One Piece are big games here as well, uh, but but Flesh and Blood has been climbing really fast, uh, if I if I can say so. A lot of former MTG players, a lot of new players are also discovering Flesh and Blood. Um, Lorcana kinda rose for a bit, but then died really fast here. So, yeah. Okay. And then just thinking about uh, the local game store scene um, in Manila or in the, the Philippines, and even thinking to here where, you know, in our city, there used to be quite a few LGSs, but over the last 10 years or so, I think many of them have, have closed down, sadly. Um, over to you, like, are there still a lot of game stores? Is there one every community, one every block, or... Are you seeing something similar um, for you? Uh, I think it's actually at the growth stage now. You know, you know what in business I always say that yeah. more the first world countries are like a crystal ball for the Philippines. We're like three years behind, so that that's what I usually say to to people who want to do business in the Philippines, want to get into digital business and stuff like that. So, for example, if in in the first world you're already seeing a decline on. Some game stores. It just means that it's about to explode <laughs> here in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So you're actually seeing a lot of game stores popping up now. Uh, and okay. you can kind of foresee that it will be an, on an upswing, on an uptrend considerably, at least for the next few years, with more trading card games coming out, with the fragmentation of TCGs. It's kind of like it's kind of like the, the social media phenomenon. You know, everybody was on Facebook, then it fragmented, then people went to Instagram. Right. Some people went to Twitter. Some people went to whatever. It's the same thing with card games. Uh, everyone used to be on Magic. Now it's fragmenting, and there is a there is a trading card game for everyone. You just don't know what mm-hmm. it is yet. It can be, for example, Grand Archive or Vanguard for people who like the anime style art and the you know stuff like that. It can be sorcery if you want more of a board game, old school feel. Uh, it can be Flesh and Blood if you want something that appeals to your competitive nature. Uh, and and one piece for for the anime people, so it 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 really can appeal to a very wide range of, of people. Can you tell me a bit more about being a store owner? You had mentioned a bit of it was born out of passion, but how did you get started ultimately? Oh, um, so so our store is kind of unique in the sense that we actually run a very big space. So. Uh, it started with with an, an idea that we saw in Japan. So if you go to Japan, there are some stores with like big glass cabinets and lots of glass cabinets, and they would have lots of toys and collectibles. Uh, but the thing there is the store owner doesn't actually own all the stock or all the glass cabinets. They rent it out to different people, hobbyists and merchants. So that's what we actually put up here in the Philippines. It's called Unbox. So we have a 500 square meter space we have over 200 cabinets that are for rent and we have a central area where people can you know a community area where you can play games you can 
play board games, you can do trading cards, you can do NBA card swap meets, sports cards, and stuff like that. So that business, the the shop, literally, I put it up in the middle of the pandemic when we had lockdown here in the Philippines. When I say lockdown, here in the Philippines, it was so crazy. You guys remember the mask thing, right? We had oh, something yeah. even more than a mask. We had a face shield that we had that we were compelled to wear on top okay. of the mask. So imagine mm. people going to the mall with the mask and then a face shield, and then they would go to you know our shop and stuff like. That. So it's very prohibitive. Yes. But the reason yeah. why we set the shop up like that was that it it one it was so easy to negotiate for mall space during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Because people were leaving malls, so I knew that it was to my advantage to negotiate hard as in really hard to get the rates that i wanted but it was also had a risk right um yep, and sure. then secondly if i could find the business model that didn't entail me carrying or getting a lot of capital stock on stocks on you know retail products right mm -hmm. so that's where unbox was born we literally just had to buy the cabinet set up the space do the marketing and then get people to rent the cabinets to be able for us to afford our overhead and to make our profit. And then events would be our way of generating incremental revenue. So that was kind of like the thinking behind it. Um, okay, we, were success we were successful in the sense that we were able to lock in our pandemic rates all the way until 2025. So that was yeah. kind of like how we negotiated during that time. I guess this is kind of like perks of getting into business when you're like 40 plus years old already and you have like a ton of corporate experience. <laughs> yeah, sure. You get to leverage a lot of those things, right? So yeah, that, that was the beginning of Unbox. And, and we, up to day, up until today, all of our cabinets are fully rented out. We have over 250 cabinets uh, rented out in Unbox. Different collectibles. Some people sell sneakers. Some people sell... Uh, sports cards a lot of people sell magic and flesh and blood some people sell pokemon so when you go in it's like a it's like a museum of different collectibles it's like a happy place for grown men <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty awesome so uh, to elaborate a little bit more i guess how does uh so we don't have anything like that here in north america so if i was to walk into the store and you have all of these cabinets do i talk to somebody are they Lock, like how do I get access to the product and purchasing stuff? Yeah, so every cabinet has like uh, you know instructions for you to just call a staff. We have lots of people going around the store that can assist people who want to shop. Um, we we thought of doing like a way to digitize everything, but the inventory management system that you would have to come up with and yeah. forcing two hundred fifty plus people renters to constantly you know input and output all of their stocks is just going to be crazy. Right, so it didn't make sense. So, <laughs> so it's it's very manual, hard labor. Okay, interesting. So, what are some of the challenges that you have of owning a store like this? Oh, uh, well, it's it's a really different business model. So, it's finding people who believe in the vision uh, of having a shared space, a shared community of collectibles. Now, the great thing is, when I launched this business, I already had a YouTube channel with over seven hundred thousand subscribers. I had a sizable community backing me, so it was kind of relatively marketing and reach was never a problem. Mm -hmm. Customer acquisition cost was never a problem because of the built-in advantage of being a creator, right? Right. That has always been the advantage of a creator. So you you can easily sell products. So for example, uh, in a very flesh and blood example, uh, we I think I can consider Unbox as one of the biggest flesh and blood stores 
or at least communities in the Philippines. So we literally just put up a post of different fab metal tokens for sale, metal fab tokens. I know you, you guys know them. And we yep. sold out in like less than 15 minutes. Again, because you already have the reach. You have the marketing built in. So that mm -hmm. that's kind of like the model that I've been following across all the different businesses that I've been that I put up, regardless if it's you know the shop or the the marketing agency and stuff like that. Awesome. Um, I guess one more final question here: What's your favorite thing about being a store owner? Oh, the people, meeting the people. I, I love you know meeting different kinds of people from different walks of life, different ages. Uh, it's the best way to feel young. Uh, to be able to to meet younger people and you know kind of compete with them in a way, sometimes people kind of consider me their, I guess their TCG uncle. <laughs> so, <laughs> so some of them would go up to me ask for advice about life in general, business. Yep. Some people would ask career advice. Some people would ask relationship advice. So it's it's really fun. It feels really feels like a a community more than anything else, which is why I love. Uh, you know tcgs and flesh and blood in general yeah I, I mean like from all of the things that you've already described with what you've done in your in your life and what you're doing now i can totally see that definitely being a thing where people come to you for all sorts of things you've, you've clearly been successful and you know a lot of things that you've tried to do yeah so could you maybe take me back to the beginning of the flesh and blood community getting started in the Philippines. Can you just walk me through how that happened in the Philippines? When did the game start getting popular? And just walk me through that. Yeah. Um, so when I got into the game, there were only a few shops initially carrying it. Uh, Scry Games was one of them. Vault. I mean, it was just really a small community uh, back then. Um, and it grew fast. Um, Actually, it just snowballed out of nowhere. I don't know if it was because of people from Magic who were frustrated and were just looking for another game. Um, but it just snowballed quickly, and then we went on board. Another distributor, uh, Ludus, in a chain of shops called uh, Neutral Grounds, picked it up as well. Um, and then it just grew, rapidly grew like crazy. Um, and then the next thing we knew... We were running armories of 20 to 30 people. We had an armory that hit like 70 people, which is crazy. It was like insane. Imagine 70 people competing for a cold foil dawn blade or something. I know not the dawn blade. What was dust? What was the sword of DTD? I forgot. Oh, uh, oh uh, beaming blade. Beaming blade. Yeah. So imagine yeah. 70 yeah. people competing for a beaming blade cold foil. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right? crazy. <laughs> so. It really just snowballed. I, I think a big part of it was probably the emphasis on player recruitment uh, that, that at least I would like to think I kind of spearheaded as well in the local community. Uh, for example, I, I mentioned to you guys I'm a marketer, right? So I kind of look at games in a very different way or communities in a very different way. I don't look at them and see just players. I And, and I see churn. I see the people leaving the game and I can feel and see that the community will constantly lose players unless you constantly recruit. Attrition is forever. The attrition mm -hmm. is eternal. So people will keep leaving the game for whatever reason. Either they find a new game, life gets in the way, they get bored, they get tired of losing, or whatever reason that is, people will keep leaving. So if you do not keep recruiting, then eventually the churn will outweigh the new users and the new players. 
right? So so that has been a central key focus for us. So we do learn to play events probably two to three times a month, at least in Unbox. And we oh, encourage okay. a lot of shops to also do the same. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And the what you said, churn is eternal. I think it's true for so many different things in life. It's something that... Uh, you know, in professional life is very important as well, too. Like you're always losing yeah. customers as well. So you're exactly sure someone, someone, something someone told me uh, early in my career was that the best time to look for new customers is when you have a lot because, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, that, that, that you're, you're going to lose sense. some. Yeah, you're going to lose some coming up here. You don't want to be looking when, uh, when you don't have a lot. Exactly. Um, we're going to cover this point a little more when we go through your five tips for community building, but just so we don't uh, neglect telling the full story of the overall uh, flesh and blood community in the Philippines for a little bit here. Why do you think flesh and blood took off in the Philippines the way that it has with, like you said, all of the different competition out there from, you know, maybe magic coming back or one piece or, Pokemon or all these other games like I, I I know you were a big um push for it making a big push for it on a marketing perspective but still there's so much competition out there like what do you think uh flesh and blood um like why why flesh and blood um I, I can speak in behalf of my experience running the store and yeah. from what I saw of the player base in the community that I have obviously some stores might have a very different um, experience. Uh, but for me, ultimately, um, it clicked because of the competitive nature of flesh and blood. I mean, you do not deny the beast what you do not deny the beast their nature, right? I mean, that's why I, I, I kind of laugh when I see not laugh, but UPF is fun, right? But but ultimately, flesh and blood is about one on one competition. In, at least in my head, it's about competition. It's one on one. It's brutal. It's visceral. It's like a fighting game, um, and that's what I zeroed on, I zeroed in when I was promoting the game. I, I said that it was one of the most competitive, uh, complex, strategic games that you could play. Um, it can be rewarding. I would zero in and talk about the pro play circuit and and how huge that was, and that attracted a certain segment of the market. And in and that, I think, is key when you try to grow communities, is that you don't target everyone. I mean, you lose when you try to target everyone, because if you try to target everyone, then you're fighting against every single game, every single person or company that's trying to put up a game, right? But if you target a specific niche, a specific segment, and then grow from there, then the chances of you being more successful are much higher. So that was kind of like the strategy. We focused on competitive TCG players or people who had that inclination, uh, strong leaning towards competition. And all the marketing materials, all the stuff that we did spoke to that particular persona, spoke to that particular customer. If you weren't a highly competitive TCG persona or a competitive people person, then I'm kind of sure that the materials that I put out wouldn't work <laughs> and won't attract you. And it's okay. And it's perfectly fine. If you want to play EDH, play EDH. If you want to play Lorcana, play Lorcana. If you want to play Pokemon, One Piece, go ahead. I mean, I'm not competing for your attention because you are not a competitive like TCG player. By all means, enjoy what you want to enjoy. No judgment. But if you are one of us, like our tribe, or at least what I feel like our tribe is, then I would want you here. 
badly because I feel that those players are high quality players that will stay for the long term. And 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 I saw it so much during our learn to play sessions. I can tell quickly if this player will stay with flesh and blood for a long period of time. Within the first 10 minutes of watching someone play, I can instantly tell this guy will stay. This person will not. And most of the time I'm correct. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. And again, j jumping ahead to some of those five points that we're going to go through in detail, um, identifying your audience and all that. But uh, before we uh, we move on here, you have so much experience with uh, with marketing and with selling the game. And one of the things that I see on Twitter sometimes is people from all over the world saying, hey, why doesn't LSS market like this? Why don't they advertise themselves, you know, by putting the product <clears throat> in Walmart? Or on the other hand, why don't they advertise themselves by making this pre-constructed product? Or everyone has a different opinion and it comes from all over the spectrum, right? Some people want it this way. Some people want a Netflix movie. Some people say I want more lore and stories. Some people say, no, add even more prizes to the, the pro tour. That's how you do it. What's your assessment of the marketing push behind um, Flesh and Blood from LSS. Has it been good so far? Could it be better? What What would you say about that? Well, first I would say congratulations to them because the game has grown dramatically uh, ever since it started, right? And if there's one thing you cannot argue against, it's success. And the fact that they are enjoying the success that they have right now validates a lot of the things that they did in the past. Um, the fact that they would put a lot of their money, you, you know, you kind of can tell what their priorities are just by looking how they spend their money. So for example, you know that bulk of their marketing budget actually goes to the price pool of the pro play. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because they right. don't run like a lot of Facebook ads. Their merchandising is uh, kind of there, but not really the best. Um, so you, 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 and you, a lot of the things that, the, a lot of the content that you see is actually very heavily community driven and creator driven. So, you can kind of sense already that what they've been doing is creating events and competition that incentivizes creators and communities to keep creating content and activities that will promote the game to a much wider audience, which they wouldn't be able to get if they spent the money just plainly on advertising. You guys can understand? It's like a very massive ripple effect of being able to use the pro play as a central beacon and then every have the creators the people would you don't like kind of like flock to it and then you would see like all of those ripples spread across different markets and different segments now having said that can they do can they do better obviously yeah and, and any organization any business any brand can always do better and i think they it will eventually reach a point where, where they will outgrow what they've been doing because what you there's the saying what you did before cannot bring you to where you're supposed to go, something like that. You know what I mean? What made you successful before will not be the thing that will make you successful tomorrow, kind of like that. Right. That, I think, is where LSS is headed. Well, they did a great job bringing the game this far. But if they want to take it like to the next level, then that's where a lot of thinking and a lot of re-strategizing um, has to come, especially when it comes to branding and, and being able to build the brand of flesh and blood. You know, building the brand entails the lore, entails the IP of flesh and blood, entails uh, so many other things that they can do and, and invest on. And that's the exciting part. 
and and I wish them nothing but the best. But I really feel they're kind of headed towards there, especially with heavy hitters. Mad, uh, I'm super loving heavy hitters. I mean, the, the player in me is super excited. Uh, and the marketer in me, seeing what they've done, what they did, I know the celebrational was kind of like received negatively in some way by some people in the community. But, I mean, it's Twitter. Come on, guys. Twitter is like where everybody goes to complain, right? So... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you yeah, brought so up a really the... interesting point about, sorry, you brought up a really interesting point about the marketing and, and where they're spending their money. Um, I feel like some people think that LSS has an unlimited budget, which they don't. Yeah, and they do not. Look at the venue for Worlds. It was received, uh, sorry, First World wasn't received very well because of the venue that it was in. They upgraded, you know, at in the second uh, Worlds event, they made it a lot better. But when you're talking about marketing, I've never felt like LSS is um, putting out fluff. They they do the bare minimum of marketing to make sure that people know what's happening. But I've never felt like anything they've ever done is fake. And that was kind of something that I got from what you said when you were talking about marketing is that or where they're spending their money. And they're spending their money in the prize pool to make sure that the game grows with intent. And it's not just here for one time this year and then it goes away like a flash in the pan. So I thought that was a really yeah. interesting uh, eye-opening uh, statement that you made for me anyways that's kind of how i interpret it uh, so i agree with you in that that regard yeah I, I think james james white and the rest of the lss people really knows the bullseye target market that they want to talk to and they've been investing heavily in talking to that particular segment because it's been successful for them um and 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 again will it bring them to the next level of success that that remains to be seen probably but it wouldn't hurt to see how they would explore building the the brand more, you know, the story more, because those are things that would really make it so much more interesting and make it more sticky as the years go by. All right, moving on to the Twitter post that we talked about uh, a little bit earlier. Around a month ago, you posted five tips for community growth from an LGS perspective. I'd like to go into detail. Um, one of the first things that you said was awareness, attract and get their attention, posters at the store, uh, photos on social media. Can you elaborate uh, a little bit more on what stores can do, or maybe even community members that don't necessarily have a lot of uh, reach beyond a store to help um, put out, yeah. put that out there, that awareness? Yeah, sure. So, so maybe we, we have to take a step back and take a look at the framework, frame, framework as a whole. So when you, when you talk marketing, there's really like a, there's like the customer journey and, or the sales funnel. It sounds technical, but, but, Please bear with me. But the, the main essence is that you do not convert someone just by showing them one material one time. That barely works, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to pike their interest. You need to get them curious. You need to find a way to get them to ask that question. Hey, what's that game? Where can I learn? Uh, where can I learn more about it? And then you, get, you need to get them to go to the place where they actually learn how to play, be it a website or an event. And then you need to find a way to catch them so that it's not a revolving door. What do I mean by revolving door? Wherein they don't just learn and then they leave. You need to, mm, yeah. to have a program in place that will guide them and kind of plug them into a social circle that will make the game so much more sticky so that they stay for the long term. Now, if I were to translate that in marketing sales talk, that's the customer journey say, or the, the marketing funnel or the sales funnel. And it starts with awareness. Um, generally getting the word out and letting people find out that there is a game like Flesh and Blood. But it is not enough to just show a picture of Brevad or or Reinar and show that there's a game called Flesh and Blood, right? Because to a total stranger, it just looks like a bloody orc screaming. Yeah. 
So there has to be something there that will talk to that person or talk to the specific person that you want to talk to or, or niche or target market so that they will get interested and that they will, you know, ask the next question, hey, where do I learn to play? Uh, and for me, since I was targeting, again, the competitive TCG player, it was kind of straightforward. It, I have, Flesh and Blood is a game with a 1.5 million USD pro play circuit, right? So it speaks immediately to the to the competitive side. It speaks volumes already on what, what are the incentives, um, and it will speak directly to the competitive TCG player. So that's the kind of like the initial awareness part. And, and you do that by having posters in shops, by having content on social media that people will get to see, creators probably who will occasionally talk about it on their Twitter account or any any platform or space where you get to get the word out that there is a game called Flesh and Blood, the TCG. They have a 1.5 million US pro tour, uh, pro play package next year. And yeah, that's, that's kind of like, and you can go here where, to, to learn how to play the game. Okay, so going through the rest of point three, you also outlined some other tactics for recruitment. So the next one that you outline is consideration, um, just info informing and giving them more details apart from just that surface level engagement and incentivizing current player base to be ambassadors. Can you elaborate on what your store has done particularly uh, in terms of that uh, consideration? Yeah, so um, the consideration phase is basically where people are curious and they ask the question of what, what the game is actually about, right? You need to give them an avenue for to give that information. That So that's usually your social media page, your social media channels, your YouTube channel. That's why we have a YouTube channel. Um, that can be the players that you have or the current community that you have and then arming them and equipping them so that they can be ambassadors for the game. So we do that. We have a team unbox. When we do tutorials, it's actually the team members who do the, the teaching. So it's not like a random person or, you know, an, an employee of the store. It's the team that will actually teach you how to play the game. So they actually give their time, which is I'm super thankful for, uh, for Team Unbox who, who volunteered their time uh, to teach the players. So we also opened that, that up to other vets and people who play within our community. If they want to teach, you, invite them. We tell them to, hey, tell your friends to, to join. Um, will make it as easy as possible to get your friends, your circle, into flesh and blood, right? Uh, because of our learn-to-play events. So that's kind of like how we do it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's really great to hear that even the top players of a team and box um, will step in and help out at something like a learn-to-play, um, as well as other members of the community like that. So that's that just goes to show how strong... Um, that message is heard um, up and down at your scene. Um, the next point that you make there is about conversion, uh, just about having a strong, easy, and singular program uh, for learn-to-plays. And then you say you give everyone pre-made blitz decks from Shop Bulk and the community pile. So uh, based, on, based on what you were describing earlier, it sounds like that this is something that's actually a very successful program for, for you. Yeah, so uh, I'll elaborate. So this is this is kind of a funny story, and a lot of the team unbox people tease me tease me about it. So I'm a draw my main. So I play draw my yep. in classic constructed. I have I bought so many uprising boxes that I have like a ton of you know bulk commons and rares, and the easiest deck to make is Fi, right? So we actually gave birth to probably over a hundred Fi players. <laughs> 
because of our learn to play. And when and it translates actually to our armories. So you see a lot of five players in our armories. And if you're a draw my player, it's so frustrating to play against multiple fives in multiple rounds of armories because that's the player base that you actually birthed into the world, right? So, so that's what we did. We we took a look at the, all of our bulk. We we actually made the, the five decks ourselves. We, we did the blitz decks. We, we wanted it so that they could pick it up and go to an armory and play uh, versus, you know, the Ira deck, which is not even legal. Yep. <laughs> if you think about it, right? So, yeah, it's been very successful because we did an, an, a couple of Ira decks. We did a couple of, I'm sorry, we did a couple of Phi decks, a couple of Dash decks, um, and we just gave them away for free as opposed to the cards just, you know, staying in our bulk boxes gathering dust. Um, and it has been a very successful program. And as someone who sells singles, I have never seen the amount of flame scale furnaces fly off the shelves of my store oh, yeah. as fast oh. as uh, ever since we did the program. Um, and we have had dozens of requests, um, nearing probably more than probably 50, 60 of people wanting to buy full decks already. And, and wow. most of these people came from our Learn to Play program. Wow, that's that's really great. And I mean, one thing that I think about Learn to Plays is a lot of times they they seem like a hard sell, or maybe the first one is a tough sell, and no one shows up, and maybe it looks a little bit sad to people just trying to get their their communities going. But persistence is key, like you say, having a program, not just a one off Learn to Play. But even if no one shows up one time, you keep on consistently showing out time and time again. Um, you know, eventually that program can become very successful. Like, uh, yeah, but like you, if, you've shown. If I may, if, if I may, yeah. that's why it's important to have an audience existing already. So I mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that 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 I myself, I I ha I'm like a creator, right? So I have like a bunch of followers across different social platforms, and I'm not shy to use whatever I built from the world of sneakers and from the world of tech, all the different audiences that I've had in the past to really push the game. And I think that that's also been key, right? Um, but apart from that, even our shop, we have over, I think, 30, 40,000 followers on, on Facebook. So those are the things that, that really matter because if, if you have that reach, if you have that built-in you know, community, it's easier to launch marketing programs versus launching it in the vastness of social media with no one listening to you. Yeah. Especially if you're not going to spend for ads, right? So that's why it's key to, to, to think like a creator in this day and age. If you're a shop, you have to think like a creator because if you think like a creator, you'll be able to build communities. You'll be able to create content that will attract people. And then from there, you can pretty much launch whatever it is that you want to launch because you already have a, a, a platform, a system that talks to a wider audience. Yeah, no, that's a, a really good point. Um, the next point that you have uh, for recruitment is to plug them into the community by adding them to your fab shop group chat or Discord, et cetera. And I mean, I like that because we hand out invites to our Discord for our community, like Candy, like, please, uh, <laughs> please join. And I, I mean, that's that, that's just even more ways to get them connected, to get them to learn the pe people, you know, make friends. And, you know, it's totally fine to have a, a bigger Discord for everyone. You can still have other Discords just for your yeah. little group of friends. Like, but I think it's very important and, you know, to have somewhere everyone can, can hang out. 
Um, yeah, we, I, you know, you know, I learned that from church. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> right when you, when you, when you, for example, if you're a born again Christian, right, the customer journey is like you do the altar call, and then from then they will plug you into like a discipleship group and stuff like that. That's how it, you know, the the church kind of works. So I was thinking, sure. I wanna, I wanna do something like that for flesh and blood. So after they learn. I need to put them somewhere where people will guide them and stick with them. People that they can ask about the game so that they can grow and mature in the game. So that was kind of like the thinking behind that particular point, which is kind of interesting. Absolutely. Um, and then the last point here under step three is uh, loyalty. Incentivize them to attend their first armory and upgrade their decks with one-time discounts and all of that. And I mean, incentives, they don't, they don't just have to be money related like here's your discount you know 10 percent off your first purchase it could be that it could be friendship it could be that sense of community that you were talking about where you're the uncle of the group and they can come <laughs> to you for advice there's so many different incentives and and reasons to to join a group right yeah um so for us it, it's a variety of things so we have a rookie of the month program wherein we recognize the the most active player who came from our learn to play month in and month out. Um, they get like a, a prize for it, uh, <clears throat> store credits and stuff like that. But but it's beyond the money. Sometimes it's really the recognition that, that people crave for. And if you're able to build a platform in a system that rewards that, then that usually does a lot. Yeah. No, exactly. And especially for something like Flesh and Blood, which, you know, on some level is, like you described, a brutal one versus one, yeah. you know, fight to the death game. Knowing that there's a broader community out there that does care about you, that recognizes you, that goes so far, you know, in in building the community outside of the game. All right. Yeah, I agree. I want to take us back to the first point that you posted. Uh, clearly identify what player segment you want to target. Competitive, casual, social, etc. So you mentioned that uh, for your group uh, specifically, it was always a very competitive group. Like, was that a intentful decision because you saw that certain other games were leaving an opening for those competitive players? Or... Like, is it more, you know, your local community, you know, this is what they're going to go for. Like, how would someone look at their local community and say, I have a competitive community, just like, you know, Carlos, or my community is more social. Like, how, how does someone do that? I think every community has a different mix. You have, you know, every community has a segment that you have competitive people, you have social people, you have casual people, right? I think what's important is that when you are an LGS owner or a store, you have to take a look at all the games as your tools. And every game, you have to maximize the strength of each game. So for me, the most social right now is Commander, EDH. So I still run EDH and Commander events on a weekly basis because it caters to that particular segment. Now, the pro place circuit of MTG is there, but I felt that I would get better returns if I pour that particular effort and investment in the pro play side of Flesh and Blood. So that's been yielding, you know, really good returns for, for us because that's the, the you, you kind of focus the, the strength of the IP and the game on what it is strongest as, or if you know, if, if you know what I mean. And then for, 
for the more casual games, we tried Lorcana. But the problem is there's no like local distributor for Lorcana in the Philippines. So it's so hard to, you know, get product at a good price locally. So we had to stop. But eventually when they get like a local uh, distributor, I would I would love to, to use Lorcana as a means to get more casual people into the game store. Oh, understood. For the next tip on building LGS, um, your uh, you said to tailor fit your message and propositions for audiences you want to target. Focus yeah. uh, for us, the focus is competitive players, which is why a lot of our comms we emphasize the $1.5 million US pro play and various tier, tier three and four local and international events and testimonials of successful players. How has this been received among your player base by you pushing the, the competitive narrative? Did it drum up a lot of excitement? Oh, yeah. Um, it's It's done a lot. I mean, that's, I think, the primary reason why people are so excited for, for Flesh and Blood this year. Um, that's why a lot of people are excited for Battle Hardened because they know it's like the entry gateway for, for all of the other big events that will happen this year for, for Flesh and Blood. The armories right now are peaking like crazy. I mean, multiple stores are reporting uh, attendances of like 20 to 24 to 30, primarily because there was a rumor that came out that XP is already being counted for nationals. <laughs> so, so you kind of get the feel that, that the communication has been has been working significantly. And then even, for example, a recent, uh, a recent material that we posted in our different group chats was we kind of laid out how much money is on the line in the next three months. You know, right. this is how much money is on the line for Battle Hard in Manila. This is how much money is available or at stake at the calling Southeast Asia in Phuket. This is how much money is up for stake at Pro Tour LA. And the question to everyone, and we post this to the community is, how good do you think you are that, that you deserve a piece of that pie? Right? So you challenge them because yeah. that's how you get competitive players amped up. Right. You don't tell them, please play. You don't get competitive players to play like that. You tell them, are you good enough? Right? You challenge that side of them. Because if, if you just tell them, hey, we have a cute game, that, that will never work. Or you try to plead with them to play. You appeal to their sense of competition. You appeal mm -hmm. to their sense of ego wherein they, hey, I really want to prove something. I, I should be there. I should be playing there, right? And, and you showcase other players in your local community who've done well. Justin Ku, who won the calling, which was part of Teen Box, was a lightning rod for a lot of this to happen. Because suddenly a lot of Filipinos suddenly realized if he can do it, we should be able to do that as well, yeah. right? So that was also like a big thing for us locally. Watching the video of uh, of Justin uh, winning the calling, uh, I I actually cried. Like I'm not. <laughs> Don't worry, me too. <laughs> that like yeah, just the yeah the way the entire team came around him to celebrate. Yeah, it was quite quite a moment. Yeah, Justin is, re is a really cool guy. I mean, the reason why we celebrated the way that we did, uh, as, as I told you, Filipinos are very warm, hospitable. It's, it's genuinely Filipino to do stuff like that. And then when we were preparing for, for calling Taipei, it was more of like bonding than training. <laughs> it wasn't like going to a house and then doing multiple reps of, of just, you know, draft. I mean, it, it was really... You know, sharing stories, eating together, uh, playing, playtesting. But in between all of that, 
all of that thing, all of the other things that you do to build relationships. And that's probably why the reason that when he won, everybody was just over the moon together with him. That's awesome. The, one of the, the next points that you make uh, um, as far as the building community was getting people to try the game is easy, but getting them to play competitively is totally different. And that this has, you mentioned before, the highest tri- uh, highest rate of attrition in the process. Um, it's an assault. Sorry. And that this has the highest rate of attrition in the process and is ultimately only solved if you attract the right players. Yes. How would you, how do you go about, you know, attracting those players um, for the competitive um, side? Well, like, like what I mentioned earlier, it's really the entire funnel that I mentioned. But it starts with whatever, what, what is your key communication? What is your one piece? What is your one-liner pitch for the game, right? For, for Lorcana, it's easy. I mean, there's Elsa. <laughs> I mean, that's why stronger IPs have an advantage, right? Because you don't have to say much and it will already talk a lot to the person. Or One Piece, you know, it's Luffy and stuff like that. So you talk to the, the One Piece fan base. For Flesh yeah. and Blood, it, it's you really need to anchor it on something more than just the IP because the IP is not yet there. The IP is not strong. I mean, the only people who know Reinar are people who play Flesh and Blood, right? That's it. Yeah. So that's both a good thing and a bad thing. The, the good thing is that that because you're coming from nothing, you can pretty much say anything, right? So in a in in a field of bland TCGs, you can pick a spot. And for me, and I think that's what the LSS guys did when they did the pro play move, and I just aligned myself to what it is that they were th- probably thinking. I felt that it was really the pro play thing, which is the 1.5 million US for this year. So that's what I went hard on. And that was the key communication that I centered everything on. And I feel that a lot of the people who were attracted by that statement had a much higher chance of graduating our learn to play, going to our armories, interacting with everybody else in our local community and staying. Um, And and just to share, one of the guys who did uh, our learn to play recently just won... uh, like our Road to Battle Hardened event today. Um, his name is Dodge. He learned two months ago, played Dash. He, he, bought, he We gave him the Dash Learn to Play deck that we built from our bulk cards. He just upgraded it himself. And he won an event earlier, which gave him like a Sigil Merlion, you know, the, the, the promo. Yeah, wow. And we were just super proud and happy for him because that guy literally just started two months ago. And in the armory earlier today, he even beat me. Which <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's it's good to see progress like that, right? Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that. Um, but with being so focused on competitive play, is do you is it important to also target the casual base, or are you more focused, like you said, on this year on the competitive play and bringing in bringing in people on that aspect? If the product is developed already. I mean, if the product is strong enough to stand uh, the casual social play side of things, then I, I wouldn't mind pushing it and giving it a shot. But again, the moment you go towards that lane, you are fighting Commander. You're fighting right. EDH. So the challenge you ask yourself is, is the product that LSS made, and I'm talking as a marketer and as a you know an LSS uh, uh, LGS owner, is UPF going to stand toe-to-toe with Commander? If the answer is no, 
then I'll spend most of my efforts and resources, see resources pushing the competitive side. So up until there is an offering that is unique and that can stand on its own, no. And that okay. I think, but but I think they kind of know that that's the case. And that's why they initially started thinking of PVE. And that's why I was so disappointed when it didn't happen because I felt that that would be the unique thing that LSS would have. And that would allow LGS owners to talk about something that all the other games don't have, right? Right. Yeah. So I think they're betting on the wrong thing. They're betting on, on UPF when they should be betting on PVE. Because the moment they bet on UPF, they're saying that this can compete against Commander. And sorry, it cannot. I don't think it right. can. And for the simple premise that Commander is fun because you build board states, right? You build, you amass armies, you talk while you're doing your armies, and then you attack one another with your dinosaurs or whatever. In Flesh and Blood, it's one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, the cards that you you hold, unless you are an illusionist, are all attacks, right? Yeah. So how can it be as fun as Commander when you can take your time and chill and, you know, set up like different things before you kind, you know, it's, it's really very different. But but if they went towards the PVE side of things, I mean I mean man, that would have been a completely different beast. And I think that's where they should focus on, at least from my opinion, as a marketer and a LGS owner, because that can stand on its own, that can compete, and that can talk to an audience of its own that will allow for flesh and blood to grow. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh that, that makes a lot of sense. I was also disappointed we didn't get PVE last year, yeah. but fingers crossed we'll, we'll get it this year or yeah, soon. Yeah, dude, dude uh, that, I, I have a cold foil <laughs> core shem ready to go, so... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could just be a case of resources, right? They have to yeah. focus on what they're doing well right now until they, um, you know, get enough space to put more time and development into something like PVE. But I think a lot of people were super excited, like all three of us. Uh, here we're really looking forward to PVE, and I still, you know, we're still looking forward to an announcement. Hopefully, at some point, that that actually does happen. Yeah, and yeah. and I hope they do it soon before another game does, because mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's only a matter of time before someone else does it, right? And there's always first mover advantage. And if if LSS, I th I'm sure they're it's in 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 their pipeline, and they're probably working on it as we speak or whatever. So I'm just expressing my hope, I guess, that it comes sooner than later because I feel that it can be such a big thing to help grow the game and create a secondary market, a more healthier secondary market, especially for the cards, you know, that don't really sell well because they're not as competitive. That's kind of like what EDH does for Magic, right? All the crappy cards get sold. So, <laughs> so yeah. right? I mean... I mean, people buy dinosaurs just because they want to do a dinosaur deck for crying out loud. Uh, but but if if we're if you're able to create like you know that market for for, for people who want to build up their in a very D and D Dungeons and Dragonish way, if they want to build up their kasais and their prisms a certain way because they're they they want to do an adventure with their friends. I mean, wow, that that would be crazy. I, I do want to just round out the five points um, here with one that we've already touched on. It, and your, your tip here that I think should be repeated is that you should never stop growing your community because churn is constant. Yeah. And just to add on my, my, my commentary, churn is normal. 
churn yes. is healthy. It's there is no business or you know very few things are completely immune to churn. I think some I people have this ideal of their game community like they're on a sitcom, they're on Friends <laughs> or something, and it's always the same people every every time. And as soon as one person leaves, it's a disaster. But it's yeah. not like that. Like like you said in your post, and as you've been telling us today, life happens people move on someone could have a child or move away because of a new job or something else comes along that's fine um yeah is, is that something that your community understands pretty well do you think um just that yeah, you know people yeah, I, I, move I, on I, we can still be friends like still keep in touch even though you're playing a different game yeah i, I think generally the people kind of understand that uh we stay obviously those who who go to other games, we stay in touch every now and then. They play Flesh and Blood again, they play Armories again. Um, and I, I don't, and like what you said, it's normal. It, it doesn't have to be the same group of people, but it's less of a problem if there are always new people coming in. And it's more only a it's only an issue if there are no new faces popping up in the circle. But if there are constant people joining and en en enriching and making the community better, then it will never be an issue. I want to jump to, I think, one of the most exciting pieces for you, uh, Battleheart in Manila. First of all, congratulations that that's happening. Thank you. I assume I assume you're pretty excited about that, yeah? Oh, yeah, super. I mean, uh, we've been bugging LSS <laughs> about a Battleheart for the longest time. The reason why we did a 70-person armory was specifically to just get the picture to post on Twitter to get LSS's attention. That was the plan. Nice. That was the intent. We rallied everyone playing Flesh and Blood in the Unbox community. I want you guys to show up. And we will yeah. fight for a friggin' CFB beaming blade for 70 people just so we can make a statement that we deserve a battle hardened. So that was really the plan. Yeah. That was the intent. Because again, um, as, as a marketer, I thought to myself, what can I post that would get people's attention? Is there a 70-person yeah. armory? There is none. Okay, so I will make a 70-person armory so, to get people's attention. So that was kind of like the intent behind it. So this Battle Harden is kind of like a culmination of a six, seven-month love letter to LSS to give us a Battle Harden Manila. Uh, and it started with that 70-person, uh, what you call that, uh, armory. It became a... 80-plus person skirmish, <laughs> a 64-person pro-quest. I mean, it's, it's, it's been crazy. Um, not, but now we have to put our money where our mouth is, and, and that means providing an exceptional event for our community. And I don't want it just like any other Battle Hardened wherein it's just, okay, here are tables, here are chairs, here are your pairings, go play. That's yeah. no, especially in the Philippines, that will not work. You know, we are a very social country. Uh, and I wanted something that felt more like a festival more than your typical TCG tournament. So that's why it's a good thing that I was able to go to the calling Taipei. It was a good thing I was able to go to Worlds because it exposed me to what can be and what can I add on to that. And, and, and one thing that I loved was really the interaction with the artists. I love the, the cosplay part of things. I love the, the international vendors bringing in uh, merchandise and and cards that the, the local market would normally would not have access to. I love the fact that the stores would buy cards, which would allow for our players to liquidate some bits a bit so that they would have more money to buy other stuff. 
And if they want to sell their card so they can quit, fine, it's okay. At least we provided them with the service, right? <laughs> yeah. So so anything that we can do to, to, to make the event more fun. And that's why we're treating Battle Hard in Manila as if it were a calling. I mean, we have two international artists coming. We have one of my favorite, which is Iswardi. He's, yeah. Oh man, that guy is sick. As in dope, talented. It's 100, over 9,000 level in terms of power level. I mean, I don't know if you guys seen his uh, commissions. That guy is like super dope. I yeah. mean, man, crazy, crazy, crazy talent. Um, and then we we reached out to Soya May, which also has a significant following here in the Philippines. Uh, and it's, it's fortunate that, that that was also the reason why I flew to Kuala Lumpur because we saw that she was there. So, okay. <laughs> so we were able to 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 invite, especially through our partners Ludos, who actually knows her. Um, so we have the artists. Then we reached out to the local game stores that I collaborated with already in the past and met with, such as Game Saven, some of the stores in Singapore, and they're flying over as well. We have three international vendors coming to Battle Hard in Manila. Uh, Games Haven, we have Fiendal Hobby, we have One Collectibles, uh, and of course we have the three-day competition from the Super Armory to the Battle Hardened Blitz, and then to the PTI uh, CC. So it, it promises to be a really fun fun weekend. Oh, and, 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 yeah. and I'm super excited to share this. We're doing something unique, I think. And I'm, I'm super stoked to get it on film so I can share it with the world. We, I want to honor the local teams who built the foundation for Flesh and Blood. So we're going to do a parade of teams uh, before we start the event. I asked for the for the team logos. We're going to print it out in nice banners, and then we'll have them go around the venue. We'll recognize them. We'll we'll honor them. Have them host the banners up high, and then just you know recognize them for being playing a pivotal role in building the community. Mm-hmm. And that will be the start of Battle Hard in Manila, and then we get to the tournament. Man, that sounds amazing. You've been planning this and working on this for like what seems like probably close to a year. At this point. <laughs> yes. from 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 right from with... actually the the working towards getting it given to us by lss was the longer part organizing the event yeah. and getting the venue that's like one month and a half so <laughs> <laughs> and and how how has that process been since you were notified of um, them wanting you to host a battle hard and how has been the planning since then has it been pr- fairly simple like you said like all the legwork was kind of done up until you got that invite um how has it been since? Oh, well, it's been it's been challenging in the sense that it's kind of like organizing an event, right? Which is never easy, and everything that can go wrong will go wrong. So I'm kind of expecting that already. Um, but right. but the good thing is, if you come into something like this with the experience of mounting events in the past, then you can kind of bank on your experience so that when the problems come, you can you can fix them as they come. I always say that. Uh, the, an events manager is kind of like a fireman. The only job that he has is putting out fires as the day, as the event, <laughs> as the event goes on, right? So, yeah. put out as many fires as you can. So that will be the state. But of course, whatever we can plan for in advance, uh, we're, we're we're working on. So tomorrow we have a meeting. Uh, I'm meeting with the with our partner organizer as well as the team that will be doing the streaming. Um, I'm meeting with the team also who will be handling the the live content that will be pushed out across the social channels. Um, if there's one thing I learned in business is that your your product or event will live and die with your processes and your SOPs, right? 
So if you have right. weak processes and systems, your event will die. So I am putting in as many SOPs, processes, and systems in place now so that when there is a new event later on, it will be easier. But more importantly, so that anybody who we hire to be part of the organizing team is well-equipped to do their job because they know what to do. And there is mm. as least vagueness as possible. And, and, and when I say SOPs, dude, I, I'm telling you, it's like, Rule number one, do this. Number two, do this. For social coverage, make sure you have this. Post X amount of times. Post on Twitter this. Is it, it's really spelled out. Because the, the more SOPs and processes you can put in place like that, the better it will be for everyone. So that's what we're working on right now. That's awesome. So with how competitive your local scene is, how fierce do you expect the competition to be at this battle hardened? Oh, insane. Um, we just I just saw the registrations and we're seeing a lot of registrations from uh, China, Taiwan, Japan, <laughs> Thailand. So there are a lot of people flying in within the region. I think the market, the trip to KL was very helpful uh, because we were able to invite uh, the people from Singapore and KL and Taiwan and Thailand who flew there to play. So for me, it, actually, it was actually a battle-hardened Manila marketing trip than me just playing, <laughs> right. uh, which which turned out to be cool, right? So, uh, so the international scene, or at least the local scene, the the regional scene is definitely taking notice and they're registering. I'm super excited to to host them and provide them with a great player experience. Uh, locally, man, I think it's going to be insane, especially with heavy hitters. I mean, the group chats of all the different teams are just popping like crazy right now about all the different builds. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Reinar, a lot of talk about KO, some talk about Victor, especially in Blitz, right? Because Blitz is like the main yeah. event for this time around. Right. So you only have like 20 life. I mean, you can get steamrolled by Dash. for. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like a Techno Pounder, boost, 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 then boost Max Velo. That's it, yeah, right? Like <laughs> or, a turn, turn zero. or a turn zero channel mount from Briar, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why I think apart from the competitive strategic side, you also have to deal with the variants of Blitz, which I think is going to be insane. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking forward to it and I'm super excited. I'm sure a lot of players and people locally and within the region are, are racking their brains as to what would be the best pick uh, for Battle Hard in Manila. We, we covered a bunch of specific questions about Battle Hard in Manila. Was there anything that you left out that you wanted to share? Any, anything else that's exciting that you find? Uh, well, maybe just a few things, and, and it, it, it probably it will be a way for us to invite more people. Um, we're doing it in a really nice venue. Usually... You'd probably see Battle Hardens and TCG events in schools. <laughs> I think that's been a, yes. a big venue recently. Um, yeah. We rented out a massive activity center in the middle of one of the nicest, poshiest malls in Manila. So I think it's deserving of 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 international like visitors. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, so I'm I'm super excited to to be able to have people experience that and, and have a tournament with great customer experience. So I'm not promising it will be perfect. I'm sure we will make mistakes, but uh, I'll, we will try our best to make sure that people are comfortable, people are happy, uh, and people are satisfied when they play at, at, at Battle Hardened Manila. Because while the love letter for uh, a Battle Hardened Manila has probably reached its conclusion, will reach its conclusion on Feb 2 to 4, 
it only means that the love letter to LSS for calling Manila has begun. So, <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. I mean, you're making me want to travel to Manila to go to this. You Palestine. should. I know. I, you I, should. I would love to. But all of what you're putting into this sounds like it's going to be the best battle hardened. And uh, I'm super excited for you and uh, for those that get to attend it. So I'm kind of jealous. If, if, if you won't be able to go... Um, we are investing heavily in like content from from same day edit videos to short clips. Uh, so yeah. I'll make it a point for people who are not there to at least feel like they're there or share the emotion of what's happening, uh, so that yeah. you make it a point to visit us when we do calling Manila. Fair enough. I mean, I watched you your ProQuest setup a few months ago, so I'm a bit of a night owl. So I will definitely be looking forward to that coverage. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we're we're gonna be wrapping things up here uh, in a little bit, here, Carlo. But man, just to echo what Shay said, listening to you describe all the work that you know both yourself and the broader community have put in to make this battle hearted truly special, and even looking through your Twitter, looking at all these cool extras and all these things <laughs> that you're doing, and all the ways they're going above and beyond um, for everyone that's gonna be there and tuning in online, I'm massively excited i can't wait and i guess just to broaden the scope a little bit before we wrap things up completely here can you tell us your favorite memory um in flesh and blood so far before battle hardened manila well favorite flesh oh it's probably from a comp I'll, I'll share two things number one sure. from a competitive and then number two would be more of a social thing the competitive yeah. thing would probably be winning. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, winning. Actually, it's attending Worlds. I mean, that was like mm -hmm. insane. I mean, the vibe, meeting people, meeting your, you know, fab idols, uh, getting mm -hmm. time to chat with James and the professor. That was like the best. I mean, in terms of like bigness. But if if I were to just zero in on one competitive like instance winning a pro quest was fun winning my first yeah. pro quest and it was draft which was the format i said i would never win <laughs> <laughs> so I, it was just surreal to be able to win a pro quest and get that ticket to pro tour la so that's probably the the favorite in terms of uh competitiveness or co a competition a favorite moment I'll, I'll do three a favorite moment just recently it's those know uh, it's those big crazy moments that you get with your deck so i play briar right and yeah. and briar in blitz has sick crazy moments for example uh earlier today i was playing at an armory i had a 17 point damage cnc come across my opponent so i had channel mount i put down earth lore surge red plus five i had a plunder run from arsenal which was plus three so that's plus three plus three plus five and then CNC with embodiment of lighting, which meant it had go again. So after nice. CNC, I drew from a, I drew a card from Plunder Run. It I think I think it was a a ravenous rabble for seven, and then I had one floating for a Rosetta Thorn for four. So <laughs> it's those moments that, is... that 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 you remember, right? So, but from from a social moment that that I will forever remember, it's definitely Justin winning. That that kind of bonded the, the team a lot. And uh, it's a moment that I would love for a lot of other teams, Filipino teams to experience in the months mm -hmm. to come. 
Well, from the both of us, uh, thank you so much once again. This was an absolute pleasure. If anyone wants to reach out to you or learn more about yourself or Unbox or the battle-hardened Manila, how would they do that? Uh, Twitter would be the easiest way right now. So just uh, tweet me. Um, you know what? My Twitter was dead for the longest time until I, I got into Flesh and Blood. Now it's like so alive. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... And yeah, just hit me up on Twitter and I'll, I'll do my best to, to engage and interact or answer any questions that might come up. Okay. And your handle on Twitter is? At Carlo Ople, C-A-R-L-O-O-P-L-E. Thank you so much. And you've been listening to the IP2 podcast. Thank you so much. You can find us on Twitter at IP2 podcast, on YouTube, IP2 podcast, and on Blue Sky, IP2 podcast. Thank you.